session with Dr. Farid Polaku. Good evening and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolaku, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number, 310-441-0555. Before I begin with the book of this week and do the summary of the book from this past week, we just got back this morning from Carnival Cruise going to Ensenada. We had a great time. We had about six, 700, I think 700 people there as part of our group from all over the world, from, of course, a lot from the U.S., Canada, um, but even Iran, Belgium, and Japan. It was incredible to be with everyone there and have such a great experience. Uh, my father did several seminars. I got to do one myself and be part of question-answer program, uh, but really was a great time. So I wanted to thank everyone who was there, also commercial travel for uh, organizing the event, but it really was great and hope to see you on a future cruise with us uh, sometime soon. I think we're going to Alaska in July, but we'll, we'll share more details at some point later on about that. But I wanted to again thank everyone who came and the overwhelming love and support and kindness that they showed us this past weekend. Um, so let me now get to the books. Um, so the book of the week for this week that I'll talk about on next Monday's show is So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John Ronson. So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Um, I had heard about this book, but also my good friend Sam Golzari, he had recommended this book to me, um, looking at people who've been publicly shamed in different ways, especially now with the internet. We see this happening a lot where someone does something or they tweet something and then it goes viral for the wrong reasons and they can become publicly shamed. And so looking forward to reading that book and sharing it with you on next Monday night. Let's get to the book of the week that I'll talk about tonight. It is Happy Together, Using the Science of Positive Psychology to Build Love That Lasts by Susan Powelski and James Powelski. They are husband and wife themselves, and they talk about uh, different aspects of their own relationship. They clearly state that they by no means have a perfect relationship, but that they've used tools that they've learned from positive psychology to try to help build love that lasts in their own relationship and to hopefully help others as well. And they have their own um, seminars across the world. They're called, gosh, is it Romance and Relationships? Or no, Romance and Research, I think it is. Um, anyway, so they have their own seminars as well where they get into uh, how to help people with their relationships. But it was definitely a, an interesting book. I hadn't read a book quite like this using positive psychology. Yes, it's called Romance and Research, the name of their seminars or workshops that they do. But it was using positive psychology. Now, you might ask, what is positive psychology? Uh, positive psychology started in 1998 by Martin Seligman. 
at University of Pennsylvania. So he's considered the father of positive psychology. And so a lot of the history of psychology has dealt with treating illness, treating different disorders or symptoms and things that people have been dealing with, which of course is very important. However, what positive psychology aims to do is to look at what good we can create in our lives as well. So rather than just focusing focusing on illnesses, weaknesses, disorders, um, positive psychology uh, is the science that focuses on human strengths and potential. So it's saying how can we increase or improve things uh, in our lives, looking at um, well-being, happiness, interpersonal skills, different human characteristics that can lead to a good life, which is important. Um, I was talking to someone earlier today that I at times uh, don't like the term positive psychology or I can have a reaction to it because listeners to my show know that I try to be a big proponent for recognizing the good and the feelings that don't feel good and to say things like sad feelings are not bad feelings and that most of us are avoiding a lot of our negative feelings, and I think that leads to a lot of problems. So I do at times try to uh, encourage that. And so sometimes positive psychology, I've heard people talk about it in a way that says that makes you feel like you should always be happy or that that's the only goal in life. So that's why I can have an issue with it. But reading this book um, made it more clear to me the good, obviously, that can have, and I don't see it as mutually exclusive. You can be in touch with your negative feelings or the feelings that don't feel good, but of course, focus on positive psychology, which isn't just about feeling positive or feeling happy, but also developing character strengths. And that part, I think, is very important, very good. Uh, And as they mentioned in the book, happiness is not just the opposite of unhappiness or the lack of unhappiness. Just because you don't have problems in your life does not mean you're going to feel good or be living the good life. And I think that's a very good point and one we have to emphasize, just like in your relationship. Let's say you don't fight very much. Uh, that can be good, but it doesn't mean you have a very strong, flourishing relationship, one that is healthy and can last a long time when things, let's say, get rough. So just the absence of problems in your relationship isn't necessarily a good thing and a sign that it's strong. And as also, I'd like to mention that sometimes when you don't fight, that can be a sign that something's wrong in your relationship and that you are either not that close with your partner or you or your partner are hiding things from one another. You're keeping things from one another, so you're avoiding fights. doesn't mean it's actually something good. But nonetheless, um, this book, Using Positive Psychology, to apply it to relationships, and it is really, as they mentioned, the first book of its kind to do so, uh, looks at how we can not just think about the problems in our relationships, which is what we tend to do. We tend to think, well, if we have an issue, we have to resolve it. And that's what a lot of relationships, relationship books and relationship advice is about. Um, but they mention how we shouldn't just look at how to fix the bad, but how we could actually increase the good and improve our relationship. Uh, Early in the book, they made a point that I think is a really good one. And they said, imagine if a fraction of all the time and attention we spent into our wedding day were put into our marriages. And I think that's so true that people spend hours and hours and hours uh, on their weddings um, and also get into lots of arguments at times. But they spend a lot of time to plan the wedding. But most people don't spend even a fraction of that same amount of time preparing for the actual marriage 
which of course is much more important. So the wedding can be nice and good and you can plan that however you wish, but it would be nice if people also spent a lot of time preparing for their marriage, which could include things like reading this book, which uh, you can read together as a couple. You can also read it alone, but a lot of the exercises that are in the book are meant to be done as a couple. So this is a good book to read together, uh, happy together. The couple that reads together might stay together in this case if they read a book like this and other books like this that can be helpful for the relationship. Um, but yes, it, it is a good idea to spend time on the relationship. I'm also a big proponent of premarital counseling. Before you get married, go to therapy. Not because, uh, as some people say, well, if you have enough problems to go to therapy, then that means something's really wrong with the relationship before you even get married. Uh, but the whole point is you're going to help evaluate the relationship, assess the relationship, work on any issues that are there. As we know, issues you do have don't go away. They just become stronger over the course of a relationship, especially as the stresses increase, including having children. But also you strengthen the relationship. You can learn skills together, learn how to communicate better as well. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that. So hopefully people will keep that in mind. Everyone says, and it's very cliche to say, I want to work on my relationship, that relationships take work. But most people don't do that actual work by putting time into their relationship, both in preparation and then working on it once they're in that relationship. Um, early in the book, they talk about uh, a lot of wisdom gained from Aristotle and William James as well, but especially Aristotle. And they talk about his distinctions of different types of friendship. And he says there's three types of friendship. The first type is between people who find each other useful or beneficial. So this is people who can get something out of one another, maybe a business relationship or something of that sort. And also I should mention Aristotle said this in the context of friendship, but they then apply it to romantic relationships or lovers and how you could use these same types. And people, of course, do get even married just for finding each other useful. Okay, you have money and I want to have someone who has money and maybe you're young and beautiful and that's going to look good as far as my status goes. So it's mutually beneficial. But he says that these types of relationships don't last very long or are not very stable. The second type of friendship that Aristotle describes is between people who find it pleasurable to be with each other. So they enjoy being with each other. So they may be, these are people that go out and have fun, can have a good time with each other, and it can be a great time uh, when they are together. But this type of friendship, or if it's a romantic relationship, also does not last very long or is not very stable either. But then there is a third type of friendship, which they apply to romantic relationships, which is the strongest. And this is, as they put it, and Aristotle puts it, is based on the good. So this would be two people who are attracted to each other because of the good they see in the other person. So they love each other for the goodness of the other person. And they also want to help bring out the goodness in that person and in so bring out the good in themselves as well. And Aristotle says this is the type, strongest type of friendship, and they say the strongest type of romantic relationship as well. Each person is not going to be focused on himself or herself, but on the other person. And the partners love each other for who they are and not for what they can get out of the relationship. And so this uh, really struck me, this idea of the, as they put it, Aristotelian lovers, or based on this 
theory from Aristotle of friendship and relationships, that when you love the other person because of their goodness and you want them to be as good as they can be and the best they can be, and also you want to be the best you can be for them, that's the strongest type of relationship. And I think in reading that, I can just see the beauty in that type of relationship. When you love the other person, not because they're beneficial to you in some way, not because it just feels good or is pleasurable, but because you love them and their goodness because of how good they are and that you want to be with them for that reason. And that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and he, They mention how comparing two movie examples, we tend to unfortunately get lots of messages from relationships or from movies about relationships that doesn't promote healthy types of relationships. So they compare the movie as good as it gets with the movie Jerry Maguire or two scenes, uh, a scene from each of those movies. And in Jerry Maguire, there's a very famous line, and maybe some of you listening already will remember this line where Tom Cruise's character says to Renee Zellweger's character, you complete me. It's one of those classic movie lines that even in other movies or shows, they'll make fun of it in a way because it's, it's so well known. And it's this really climactic point of the movie and considered so romantic that he says, you complete me. And we think that's so wonderful and beautiful. And people think this is what I should be looking for. But unfortunately, you complete me would be uh, in that maybe first level of the relationships of Aristotle, where it's just based on what you are beneficial or how you are beneficial to me. You complete me. And also that makes me feel good, that second level. But it's not about the goodness of you or the goodness of me coming out. It's about getting something from you. And also implies I am incomplete myself, which is not good. But unfortunately, that's just one example of many where we see in music, movies, TV shows, poems, that the best type of love is this type of love of being completed by the other person, or I can't live without you, or I die without you. We tend to think this is what love should be like. But they compare this with a scene from As Good As It Gets, where Jack Nicholson's character, who he's kind of this grumpy older gentleman, but eventually he does say um, to the other, I think it's Helen Hunt, her character, he says, you make me want to be a better man. And in a way, when I first read this, it seems like it's about him, but it's that he's saying in that scene, because of how good you are, because of your goodness and the goodness I love in you, it makes me want to be better myself. And so they say, this is the type of love we should be looking for. And this is that third level of being an Aristotelian lover, where I love you for the good of who you are. Um, but throughout the book, they get into different ways that we can use positive psychology, for example, putting more positive emotions into our relationship, which can be very important, and also savoring the good moments we have together. And there's a whole chapter devoted to that of how we can savor or take in the moments better together. And of course, one way that we, uh, or one thing we have to do in order to do that is to be very mindful and aware of what's going on. So they kind of talk about a romantic dinner or a dinner you go out to. And if you're going to enjoy that dinner, both people have to be present. But unfortunately, many people are not present in their lives in general, but even in their relationships. So we don't take in the good. And so we can have the fights and disagreements, but then we're not amplifying the goodness in our relationships. And that's 
really in, in some ways the focus of this book is how we can put more good into the relationship. There's also a lot of focus on how we can develop our characters. So again, going back to that goodness in ourselves and in our partner, and first we have to know ourselves. So you have to know thyself to know who you are and what your strengths are. And then you can use those in your relationship, but also you need to know your partner. So there's exercises in the book where you can identify your strengths, or it actually leads you to something you can do online to identify the strengths of your character. And then you can exchange this with your partner and in different ways do different exercises to better understand those strengths as well. Um, so, you know, I'm going to actually talk in the next segment a little bit more about this book, but especially one particular part, but they talk about relationships or love being like a dance and both partners have to dance together for it to work and there's at times an initiation and a response and together you create that relationship and it's doing that dance well that leads to a good and healthy relationship um, but after the break what i'm going to talk about is how when our partner or when anyone really but expresses kindness or gratitude to us we can talk a lot about the good we get out of being grateful and expressing gratitude, but very little research, as they mention in the book, has been done on the importance of how we receive gratitude. And so after the break, I'll talk a bit about this idea of when we get, let's say, a compliment or when someone shows us gratitude, how do we respond and how our response can actually be as important in some ways as how someone expresses it themselves. So this is the book Happy Together by Suzanne and James Powelski. And I'll talk some more about it after the break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm going to continue talking about the book Happy Together by Suzanne and James Powelski. And as I said, I wanted to talk about one specific aspect of it that I thought was really important and this concept that it's very important to express gratitude both for ourselves personally but also in a relationship it's important for our partner to feel appreciated by us but that it's not just about how we express the gratitude but as the receiver it's very important how we take that in that can be very critical and in some ways as important as how it is expressed now, to begin with, I, you know, we have a very hard time taking in compliments or gratitude for several reasons that I want to talk about before I get into what they also talk about, the specific ways that we can respond, some not so good and some good when it comes to receiving gratitude or receiving a compliment from someone. But one reason why it's hard for us or it can be hard for us to receive gratitude or a compliment is there is this social pressure about being humble or not coming off as cocky or grandiose that makes it difficult for us to take it. And we think we're not supposed to take in a compliment or we should in some ways downplay it. And I'll get into, again, the responses we can make. But if someone compliments us, we can feel this pressure of I shouldn't accept it because then it's going to look like I'm cocky or I'm not being humble and it's so good to be humble. So let me deflect the compliment. Let me push it away. Let me somehow not take it in so much because that's the good thing to do. And unfortunately, that's the social pressure most of us can feel in a lot of situations where it's very okay and actually healthy to have what we would call a genuine pride that if we have done something, 
that we can be proud of it. Or if someone tells us a compliment, we can feel good about that. We don't have to quickly get rid of it or discount it or pay the compliment back to that person. We're allowed to take that in. That is something very healthy and okay. Uh, and as uh, someone I talked to today was mentioning, we take away that gift or that joy that they get from sharing that with us. So when you give someone a compliment that you love and you really feel that compliment, it feels good to give that compliment. But if they don't take it in, it doesn't feel that good. Just like if someone doesn't receive a gift, you want to give them that you're giving out of your loving kindness for that person. They're not giving you that opportunity to feel that joy of giving. So unfortunately, we we feel a pressure to push these compliments and this gratitude away. And that can obviously get in the way of us receiving. Another thing that happens, I, I think there's actually this um, feeling we can have for many people that we say a lot of empty compliments ourselves. So we say things we don't mean to a lot of people just to be nice. And nice is a word I uh, have talked about how I think it's a very bad word. It's a nice sounding word pun intended. It sounds like it's good, but really it's very bad because it means not genuine in most cases, just being polite, but fake, being something that makes other people possibly like us or makes us avoid conflict, but we're being just nice. So we say something nice. We say a compliment we don't mean at all. And so I think because of that, because we ourselves know we say a lot of things we don't mean, we say compliments that are not genuine to us. When people say it to us, we feel that they're probably lying too or that we shouldn't take it in because it's likely just something they're saying to be nice. So because we know we can lie about our compliments, we also assume most people are lying to us as well, that they're not actually saying something genuine, they're saying it to be nice. So of course, if it's not genuine, I shouldn't just sit there and really take it in and value it and savor it because it's probably not real and that's going to make me look stupid either in their eyes or in my own eyes when it turns out or if I think that it's not true. So because we give a lot of empty compliments, we feel that we should not accept what other people are saying or we discount what they're saying. And related to that or a little bit differently, um, a third reason is we can have low self-esteem where we don't believe the compliments people tell us or low self-confidence depending on how it is we're being complimented or what it is they're saying. We don't feel good about ourselves. So if someone says, you're good at this, or you did a good job at this, or you're this way or that way, and it's a nice thing. We don't believe it about ourselves, so we have to quickly either deflect or discount the compliment or the gratitude that they're expressing towards us. So unfortunately, there's a lot of these factors that can play into what makes us bad at receiving gratitude and receiving compliments, and this can get in the way of some goodness in our relationships, even in our romantic relationships. People can have a hard time with their romantic partner, of course, expressing gratitude, but as I'm talking about here, accepting that gratitude as well. So they talk about what you, we can look at as six different ways that we can respond to expressions of gratitude. So as the recipient, and this could be gratitude or a compliment, uh, the first kind that they talk about is deflection. And so this is where we just very quickly um, acknowledge the compliment, but almost not even acknowledge it because it's so quick. Okay, thanks. And then we change the subject. So it can in a way be that we're not rejecting it completely, but we're deflecting it in the sense that we're not really taking it in. 
And again, this could just be because we might feel uncomfortable, we don't feel good about it, we might feel we don't actually have that quality or deserve the compliment or the gratitude, so we just want to quickly move away from that. But that doesn't feel actually very good to the person saying it, because it feels like you're basically, as they put it in this, um, uh, in their book, they say it's like you're brushing off a crumb from your shirt or a pesky fly, like it's just kind of almost annoying. And so that's deflection. The next thing would be recipro reciprocation. And so this is if someone says, oh, you look so good. You say, oh, you look so good. So we don't even really take in their compliment at all. But also kind of like they say, it's like a game of hot potato. We just quickly think, well, you've paid me a compliment and emphasis on that word paid. So I owe you. Let me pay you one back. So it isn't really, we're not even being genuine when we say the compliment back to them, but we quickly want to deflect it. Again, it's another way of deflection or avoidance. We're not taking it and I'm quickly making it about you now and complimenting you to make sure we are in this way even. You paid me a compliment, now I'm paying you back. And this also does not really lead to a deeper level of connection. If you just tell someone you did great and said, no, you did great. Well, you don't really feel like they took in your compliment and what you said doesn't really feel like it resonated with them. But very often people respond in this way. We feel like we're being paid a compliment. We have to pay someone back or we don't really believe it or we can't take it in or we think we have to just quickly reciprocate. And unfortunately, this gets in the way of genuine close interactions. A third way that people can respond, and this is even in some ways even worse, is what they call discounting. So they share an example where the husband, James, told Suzanne that she cooked a good meal, but what she said was basically, oh, Really, it could have been better. The potatoes were dried out and other things that she did wrong. Basically saying, so here he is saying, oh, you cooked a really delicious meal. And she's like, no, it wasn't good at all. It should have been better and all these negative things. So basically, rather than taking in the compliment and saying thank you and acknowledging it, we are saying that, no, actually, it wasn't even that good at all. It was really bad. So someone comes up to you and says, you did a good job. And you say, oh, it wasn't a good job. It was bad. I could have done better. I did this. You could have done better. I all these other things to just completely just demolish the compliment and make it so we're beating ourselves up rather than taking in the compliment, which could be in a way because we're ourselves maybe nervous of the things that might have been wrong or could have been better. And so we're just telling the person all the wrong things and bad things and just completely dismissing what they're saying. So these are three ways that we can take uh, or not take in really the compliment was deflection, reciprocation, and then discounting. But then there's three ways they say that we can actually take the compliment in, which are the better ways of responding to gratitude or a compliment. The first one is acceptance, which can be very basic. They even say it could be a really heartfelt thank you, as they say, while looking the person in the eye and even maybe pausing afterwards, meaning that we're allowing it to sit, we're sitting with it by accepting their gift of gratitude or their compliment, we take it in. We're allowed to accept a compliment. If someone is telling you something, you can take that in. And especially when it's your romantic partner, we want to make sure we give them that feeling that we're accepting what they're telling us. They talk about another level, which is called amplification, which they consider the fifth response to gratitude. And here you actually let yourself savor and feel good about how you feel that your partner, for example, is giving you a compliment or expressing gratitude towards you. And they say that communicating this good feeling to your partner is an important step in amplification. So you can let your partner know, 
you know, makes me feel really good when you say that, or I appreciate you saying that. So somehow sharing with your partner how it feels. Again, it's like they're giving you a gift by expressing the gratitude and you're showing them that this is a meaningful gift for you, that this feels good to you. And this, of course, leads to good positive feelings for both partners. And then the sixth response and the final response, and in a way it's the most advanced, which is again, pun intended, is what they call advancement. In this case, you can take in the compliment, you can accept it, you can also amplify it by saying how it makes you feel, but then also you can take it a little further. So they share an example where um, James was giving a talk, the husband of this husband-wife duo who wrote this book, and afterwards Susie congratulated him on the talk and how good it was. And he said, thank you very strongly and with a, a heartfelt thank you. And then to amplify the experience as they talk about it, he uh, let it in, but then also asked to advance it further, what did you like? Or he said, could you tell me one thing that you thought that you thought was particularly effective about my talk? So it's taking a step further. And I think for most people, this would feel very uncomfortable. Going back to that concept of we should be humble if someone gives us a compliment, we have to quickly get rid of it or change the subject or not take it in or discount what we did. But here we're actually taking it in fully and actually taking it a step further. Tell me what you liked about what I did or how, what about it was good or what about it was whatever the compliment is. It's taking it a step further. And they talk about how in this case, it led to them having a deeper conversation, even him asking her for constructive feedback about what he could do to make it even better. And it became this very deep connecting moment for them. But in that way, it shows the importance of receiving that, of course, we talk a lot about gratitude or a lot about appreciation or kindness and how good that can be for us to give that. And absolutely, that is true. But also, especially in the context of a romantic relationship, how important it is for how the recipient takes it in, how we receive it. Do we actually let the compliment or the gratitude land? And if we're constantly deflecting and not letting it get to us, we're interfering or interrupting the process of positive feelings that can develop between ourselves and our partners. Unfortunately, we do have a negativity bias. So if our partner says something mean to us, we tend to do all those, uh, this, those same things I was talking about, about amplifying it or accepting it and maybe even advancing it. We tend to be very good at that. So if our partner says something mean, we don't tend to let go of it or deflect it or get rid of it. We take it in. But with the positive, we tend to not do that. And this is a very unfortunate imbalance because we know that the negative has more of an effect than the positive. That's why John Gottman will talk about a ratio of five to one that you want to have in your relationships of positive to negative, positive interactions to negative ones. But what we also do is we tend to amplify the negative ones, but we don't amplify the positive ones. And so this book, Happy Together, is talking about positive psychology. And so this idea of how we can actually improve our relationships by increasing the good, not just trying to remove the problems, but increasing the good. And part of that is when we're communicating with each other that yes, we want to express a lot of gratitude, but we want to make sure we take that in. If we don't take it in, we are really going to interfere with a lot of the goodness that can be created and developed in our relationship. So uh, this part of the book also really hit me because I saw how difficult it is. Even for myself, I've realized taking in a compliment or gratitude. It can be difficult for many people. And how this actually can have negative impacts personally, of course, but then on our relationships as well and how we interact and the, the goodness we can build with one another. When we don't let the good feelings come in, 
when we don't let the gratitude be received, we, we strongly are interfering with the goodness that can be developed in the relationship as well. So again, this was the book Happy Together by Suzanne and James Powelski, Using the Science of Positive Psychology to Build Love That Lasts. So if you are in a relationship, this could be a great book to read together, uh, to do the exercises in the book, and also learn more about this idea of Aristotelian lovers and loving each other for the good of each other, not because of some benefit you get or from pleasure that you get from being with one another. And um, along with some other books like The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work and Getting the Love You Want, I think this can be another good book to read together in a relationship to help strengthen your relationship. All right, let's go to our last commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I've been talking about the book Happy Together and wanted to actually use this last segment to talk um, a bit more about the interaction model that they talked about and in relation to some questions that came up on the cruise that we had this past weekend. And so this idea that love is like a dance or a relationship is like a dance where there's initiation and response, that there's a give and take. And of course, at some moments, one partner will be the initiator and at other times will be the other. So you have to do this dance together. And not only does the dance work in the positive ways, we see the dance happen in the negative as well. So very often, and I'm sure you've experienced this before because it's so common, people have fights that tend to follow a routine or almost a script. And so I sometimes joke, it's as if once the fight starts, both partners grab their scripts and are just reading off their script and the fight can go in a pretty um, predictable fashion or manner. She says this kind of thing. He says that kind of thing. One of them gets angry. One of them does this, this, and they play their parts. So it really is like a dance. So the good can be a dance, but also the bad, unfortunately, can be a dance as well. So the reason why this uh, relates to something that came up on the cruise was there was a question that was asked during the question and answer portion about being rar, uh, which is a Persian word, which really means basically turning away from your partner. Sometimes it could be for minutes or hours, but even sometimes for days and if really extended, even weeks where one partner decides to shut down and essentially cut down communicating with their partner. And this is a very bad way of communicating, but also a passive aggressive form. So it's a way of showing anger, but by not really expressing it directly. And in that way saying, I'm not doing anything, I'm just being quiet. So it seems like we're not hurting the person, but really is very hurtful into a relationship. It's like you're sucking the air out of the relationship or taking the air away. So without air, the relationship dies. And without any connection or communication, the relationship is dying and you're trying to hurt your partner. And so, of course, this is a very poor form of communication. Unfortunately, culturally, we do see it happen a lot with Iranian couples where they tend to use this as a way of dealing with situations to hurt their partner or to maybe sometimes get their way. But for different reasons, they use that device. And of course, we can talk about how bad that is to communicate in that way. And when it was talked about how bad it is for those people and how they're being sensitive and there being lots of different negative things, lots of people in the audience cheered 
because they were thinking of their partner and when they do those things and how messed up and crazy their partner is for acting in that way, which makes sense. It isn't good to do that. But I think it's also important to point out that when you're in a relationship, it is a dance. So yes, there are some people that will employ poor communication techniques in every relationship that they are in, and they'll do that. And unfortunately, that's going to yield poor results. But we have to also look at our part in the relationship, our part in the dance, and how might we be contributing to this response from your partner? Because what can happen is some people will find that their partner does not listen to them, and this leads to them shutting down. So if your partner shuts down, yes, it's possible that's his or her way of trying to communicate or using passive aggressive techniques to get their way or get their point across, which is not good, but it can also be something that you're doing. If your partner tries to tell you something, three things, and you keep dismissing it or not listening to it or not even acknowledging it, then they might shut down the fourth time. And so you feel like they're just being difficult and annoying and passive aggressive, but they maybe have gotten to the point where they've given up trying to communicate to you. So if your partner is shutting down, one important thing for you to think about is, am I not listening to him or her? Am I doing a bad job in the communication of listening to them so that they feel like they can't communicate to me directly? They have to use this passive aggressive technique. The same is true if your partner gets very angry. Now, again, I don't think it's justified to get aggressive or definitely not violent with your partner in any way. But if your partner does get angry, it can be just, yes, they have anger issues and we could say, yes, it's all their fault. But oftentimes it's again, because they don't feel heard. And so this happens with teenagers and kids as well. If they feel like you're not listening to them the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time, they might yell it. They might yell what they have to say and say, you're not listening to me. And that's one of the reasons why we will yell when we're communicating is because we feel not heard. And if we're not heard, we try to step up our uh, the volume or the way we're communicating to make sure we get heard. And sometimes even people will do something drastic to make sure the person is hearing them. Again, not justifying aggression or violence, but that we have to recognize how us not listening can contribute to our partner communicating in unhealthy ways. Don't take your partner's poor communication as just about them. Communication is a two-way street. And the way you are preparing that street or your side of the communication can be very important in determining how your partner will respond. So you're not responsible for everything your partner says and does, of course, but you are responsible for what you are doing and saying, and that does have a big effect. If someone is not listening to you, you are going to respond differently than if you feel like they're hearing you, making you feel important, making you feel validated. So in keeping in mind this idea of the relationship as a dance, you want to make sure that you are doing everything you can in your power, in your moves in the dance to create the best type of relationship. And so always when couples come into therapy, a lot of times the first therapy session can be a lot of finger pointing. Oh, he does this, she does that, he does this. Can you look, believe what I have to deal with? And showing all the ways their partner is wrong. And of course, some of this getting the issues out is necessary to see what is happening in the relationship. But unfortunately, usually both partners tend to think the solution to their problems is only if the other person would do the things they want them to do or not do the things they don't like. And they're waiting for the other partner to change. And I always let them know that the only way we're going to get somewhere 
is when you're pointing that finger towards your partner, that finger has to turn towards yourself. And rather than saying, this is what you do, this is what she does or he does that needs to be changed, you have to look at yourself and see, what do I do that contributes poorly to this relationship? And what can I change to take those things away? And also, uh, following on the theme of the book, Happy Together, what good can I also bring to this relationship that I'm not bringing? Or how can I bring more good to this relationship? So we always want to look at our own contribution to what's going on in the relationship and not just focus on our partner and tell him or her how bad they are or just hold our breath waiting for them to change. You have to take action to make the changes you want to see in your relationship and you have to take action to make the changes that are negatively affecting the relationship from what you do and also from what you don't do. So I wanted to make that point very clear because we forget this at times and can focus on the other person very strongly. Now, a last point that I wanted to talk about in this book is they talk about, uh, started talking about the golden rule, which is a type of uh, that this rule that we see in lots of different cultures and traditions and religions, but basically the idea that do unto others what you would want to be done unto you. Or sometimes it says, don't do unto others what you wouldn't want to be done to you. And it's a very basic rule, of course. It's called the golden rule, which makes it seem very important and good. But as they talk about, unfortunately, the golden rule itself at that surface level isn't always so good. Because if you treat others how you want to be treated, that doesn't necessarily give them what they want. That's trying to give them what you want. So, for example, you'll hear stories of someone saying, oh, is my uh, wife's... 50th birthday party I throw this in through her this amazing party but then you talk to the wife and she says I don't like those kinds of parties I like a small intimate dinner he threw me the kind of party he would like and so that's why I was not happy or I was disappointed and so the husband is left wondering how could she be unhappy I threw the best party but it's because he threw the party he wants not the party she wants so if we stop at the ba- uh, the golden rule we'll end up doing things for our partner that we want but we won't we won't be meeting their needs or giving them what they wish so it's like you're ordering food for your partner but you order your favorite dish well you should be ordering them their favorite dish which then takes us to what they call the platinum rule which is to treat others as they wish to be treated so you try to understand your partner and what he or she wants and try to give them what they want to have and of course this involves also knowing our partner well so before you know someone you can only use maybe the golden rule or whatever you can pick up from them, but really the golden rule to give them what you would like as a good indication of what they might want. But then once you get to know someone, you get to know what they actually want. And so our goal should be in using what they call the platinum rule of relationships is that you give them what they want based on understanding them, which also involves asking them, observing them, paying attention to them to see what they would want. So again, in that birthday party example, if that couple has been married 20, 30 years, they start to realize, okay, she likes these kinds of parties, not those. And so I'm going to throw her a surprise party, or maybe she doesn't even like surprise parties, but I'm going to throw her the birthday party she wants, not the birthday party I would want. Now, they take it a step further, and they, they say that sometimes we have to be aware of the platinum rule. If we just give people what they want in the moment, it's not always what's best with them for them. And they use the example of a child, for example, and they have a son named Liam, and they say if they treated him how he always wanted to be treated, he would be having too much ice cream and staying up too late and playing too much video games. So to always give the person what they feel like they want in the moment might not be best for them, as they explain it. So they talk about the last 
level, which they call the Aristotelian rule. So it's, again, based on that idea of loving the person not for benefit, not for pleasure, but because of the good of them. And so they say that this rule means that we treat the other person as her best self would want us to treat them, meaning doing what's best for them in their growth and in their development, which means not always what they want to feel in the moment, but really what's best for them. And this is a little bit more complicated, but they apply this saying that, again, we should be loving our partner for their good and wanting to bring out the best in them, but also the best in ourselves as well. So we can apply that rule. And so I thought that was an interesting conversation that they had, and especially that idea of the golden rule. We can see how this can backfire very often because we tend to do things for others that we think we would love. And this is also why the five love languages can be so important in recognizing we have to know what our partner or how our partner feels loved. And what we usually do as a default is we express love in our love language, which is how we receive love, but it's not necessarily what our partner will take in as love. So we have to take the time to try to understand and know our partner to know what they would want and not just give them what we would want in the relationship. And very often people don't take that time or they don't even try to see their partner in that way. And they're baffled that why is my partner not happy? I'm loving him or I'm loving her so much, but they're not realizing that they're showing love in a way that feels good to them, but might not feel good for their partner. Again, it's like cooking a meal or ordering food that you like, but it's not necessarily something your partner likes and wondering why they don't think it's delicious. Well, it's delicious to you, not necessarily to them. So devoted the whole show to this book, Happy Together, Using the Science of Positive Psychology to Build Love That Lasts by Suzanne and James Powelski. And again, it's a great book to read if you're a couple in a relationship or if also you want to build a good relationship. They mentioned you can look at this book for that reason. But I really think couples would get a lot out of this book reading it together, um, especially the first parts, the end where it gets into their model of relationships maybe a little bit, but especially some of the exercises earlier in the book can be very helpful. So that was Happy Together, Suzanne and James Powelski. And the book of the week for this week that I'll talk about on next Monday's show is So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John Ronson. He also wrote The Psychopath Test and Lost at Sea. So looking forward to reading that and sharing it with you next week. All right, that's the end of tonight's show. Thank you to Amir here in the studio and everyone listening out there. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful night. Thank you.